Many people have problems with art and not with reality. So what is art different? It's pretty simple, right? This is knowledge, this is thinking, this is thought. Yeah, it does something strange with your head. Welcome to the Undergang Armchair. Bring it. Hello, my name is Ando. This is episode 65 of the Undergang Armchair. Welcome. It's been it's been a it's been a long road. A lot of things have changed. It's been a little slow lately. We've had a hard time keeping up. A lot of other stuff has been going on. I'm trying to work on some projects. I'm starting a new business. There's a there's a lot of stuff going on, but uh, you know, don't think that we're neglecting the show. We got some great news today which just, you know, makes makes us want to redouble our efforts and make this show even better. So that is the goddamn plan. Double up. We're still working to find out some sort of way to bring this show to you weekly without killing ourselves. So if you guys have any uh, quick ideas, you know, quick get rich scheme ideas, that's uh, that's what we're looking for. But in all seriousness, uh, this show, you know, we're just got to double it up. Every time we've got to work twice as hard and uh, we're about ready to start doing that again, just to start putting in the work. On the show today, we got Daniel Richter and his amazing words. This is a great start to, uh, to bringing the show to the next level. I'll get to that in just a second. I would like to, uh, to make an open call. We'd like to talk to some directors of institutions and we'd like to talk to some curators. So if you guys have any suggestions, any ideas, any people you know, who are working in the field right now as curators or directors, give us a shout. We'd love to sit down and talk to them. All right, enough of that. We have, like I said, the amazing Daniel Richter on the show today. Daniel Richter's a painter. He's respected. But more importantly to uh, to me, after talking to him, it was just refreshing. He's an open-hearted dude. He's got an amazing mouthpiece. I love the way he talks about about art, about life, and about how, you know, I couldn't even get him to talk about there being any difference between those two things. So no one can say it better than him. Please enjoy the incredible Daniel Richter. And I buy music regularly. So I go every week. Like since I'm 16, I go every Friday, Saturday, I go buy records, books, and comic books. And then I, some two years ago, I started doing something, actually, I would say really stupid. I buy records by listening to them, what I like, what not. And, then, you know. and I found out that 90% of the records I bought from women, if it's whatever, Holly Herndon or Melanie DiBiazzo or like... Uh, um, Words fail me now, names fail me. That, that 90% of the records from women I bought, let's say I bought 500 records. From the 500 records, 80 records are from women, which is much more than it used to be in the 70s or 80s. So of these 80 records, 70 are actually really good. While of the 420 records by, done by guys, actually also 80 are just good. So that means that guys stop making music. It doesn't mean like, hey, women uplift also participate and make boring music like the goddamn dicks. No, dicks stop making music. 
Right. It is not interesting what you're doing and saying. And you have to say that because the level for women is still much stre more stressed, there's more stress for them to do things. They don't have that support. There's not the clock, the, the dick shaking that guys have among each other. They are more self, they seem to be more self-critical. So if they do something, they do it right. While guys seem to make records like other people go to the toilet. And all of it is crap. There's so much schrott going on. It's a waste of vinyl and time and my... You know, and it's, um, it's a disappointment. Polluting the collective unconscious? Yeah, polluting the collective unconscious <laughs> and the world. So what about art? Does that apply to art? Uh, would be this, I think uh, we're not there yet. I think we're aiming there in terms of, like, it's, as far as I can say, in terms of painting. I mean, there's much more. I mean, I know the complaints about the role of women, especially in, the, maybe not, not in Denmark, but like especially in Germany and Austria, is way behind, oh, yeah. uh, way behind in terms of uh, than, than uh, England and America. Here too. You too? Yeah, I, I don't know exactly. I can't compare exact numbers and such, but there is a debate about it the is a, It is a generation. I think the generation now, it's slowly shifting. Mm -hmm. It is definitely shifting. Yeah. Also, that's because there's network, networks that build out where women support each other. And it's not about the women thing. It's more about, like, like let's say, about under supporting the case, which I think mostly is a good case, of course. Because it's a, you could also just very simply say it's just unfair. Why is there a, an idiot guy who is like a trottle and he gets the support in the gallery because he's like loud-mouthing and people get impressed because he reproduces the cliché of a painter? Well, there's a woman artist that is actually good, but self-critical, doesn't get the, doesn't get the, the feedback and, and doesn't get the, the opportunities because she's also like um, holding herself back. It's just not fair. You could also very classically just say it's not fair. You know, somebody has something to offer, just support it and then test it in whatever, the world, the market, the dialogue and in public, you know. But when people do, can't, don't even have the opportunity to, to get in, into public, it's very hard to find out what they are about. Well, the problem also is that It's turned out the way that the, the, the art world seems to be working is that self-promotion is king. The idea yeah, of is, the genius artist who paints and the gallerist yeah, comes, bizarre, you know. Which is really bizarre because I thought that was over. You know, the belief in like a guy is whatever, a wonderful, it, that's all bullshit. Nothing, I mean, I'm a painter and I have a quite definite, like I say, uh, what do you say? I have a work, you know, like mm -hmm. can identify that work. But it's for sure, it's, it, I, it's also influenced by that guy and by that woman and by that reasoning and by that background. Nobody of us works in an ivory tower, you know, like, and, um, and that there's this strong belief in construction nowadays of the genius and the wonderful singular artist that has to do with the market. That's the comeback of the puppet, the genius puppet for collectors that have no knowledge and want to play. Right. You know, because these people have very often no understanding of the art. And they, they are young, they are young and wealthy and they want to, they think that the proof or the evidence that somebody is a genius is that they buy it for 10,000 and sell it the next day for 100,000. That's the evidence that that guy is a genius. But since they all believe in that, they all have something like that blue chip or that stock market thing going on. And now, I don't know, there must be thousand painters right now that are geniuses. Yeah, but least. it's not like that's over. And it's also interesting-wise that only works with guys. Because, I don't know, it's, right. like, like, it's, 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 it's like they want to hop, they want to jump the fence. Or I don't know, they're like proud to jump the fence of like bloating around and fulfilling also this cliche of being a mix of a skateboarder, rock and roller, rapper, baggy jeans, crack-smoking, super cool tattoo dude. And right. you look at that and say, what a boring and annoying cliche is that? But right. 
the people, and that's not true, but the people with money and a new ruling class among them or a new new upper class among them seems to be impressed by that because that's also what they can sell to their friends. It's way harder to understand other kind of art. You know? Well, I wonder if, if all most of the people who buy art on this blue chip level are male. Because it could just go back to that I think dick shaking. I would think most of them are male. Yeah, because that and goes And also, I know from, from the very few stuff I've seen in New York and in LA and talking to people, that also, the what you say, that the, the wheeler dealers, the shakers, the right, bakers, right. The, the guys who are like wow in power and they know it all, they're for sure they're all guys. And the, the artists are makers. also 90% guys because they, I don't know, men are. I wouldn't say men are dumb, but a lot of men like to be impressed by another man. You know, like I'm a super cool dude, and, and you to know are that also person. a super cool dude. Your tattoo yeah. is hot. Guy. Look at us. Look at my tattoo. <laughs> we, we drive a Lamborghini, and actually, people could think we are homosexual, but we are not because we we treat women like bitches. Yeah. You know, and that's the evidence of the fact that. But actually, it's not about the girls. We don't like satisfying the girls. They are there to impress each other. Us. You know, with our paintings, our cars, and our girls. Somewhere there, I think that is. It's a nasty and ugly world, and somebody should take care of it. So we figured so out if, the problem, if, huh? Yeah. We figured out <laughs> the simple solution. It's like when, when rap can have Kendrick Lamar, also, like, uh, painting needs a Kendrick Lamar. It kind of cleans that out. Who, right. You know, like, change the role model, please. Let's not have the comeback of 50 Cent as a painting role model. It's just too fucking boring. Guys, you're not black. No tattoo, no skateboard, no jeans. May they be tight, may they be baggy. You're not black, you'll never be black. Forget that. Well, I mean, art follows trends just like everything else. And the weird thing. Art created trends. The things also change. Yeah. But how did, to go back, how did your relationship to the anti fascist left wing social movements? Lead you to going to art school and being an artist. Okay, I was I was old, you know, and I've always been doing. When I was young, I I did a lot. I did what everybody I did: t-shirt designs and record label designs and posters. You know, like classically in the cities, it was like every every city has like two or three underground places. Hamburg was very strong in the in the crossover movement. Mm. There was the squatting squatter scene, the punk rock scene, a lot of musicians. It was this whole wave of like what was these bands like No Means No and Fugazi like mm-hmm, all that stuff mm-hmm. and in the good old days every every promoter had their own poster so so we, no not not every venue had their own posters mm-hmm. you know like and then that changed in late eighties I think beginning of the nineties when even for punk bands or underground bands posters were handed over by the promoter. Before it was the venue that made the posters. So, like, even uh, I remember being in Copenhagen ages ago. Like, like venues had their own posters. Right, you know, so, so there was kind of the style thing, and you had a friend doing that. So I did a lot of posters for bands from Hamburg and for venues in Hamburg. Mm. So whatever, from Fugazi to No Means No to I can't remember Victims Family, all kind of eighties underground punk hardcore rock, political yeah. hardcore stuff. That was a great pleasure, you know, like because they put them out in the street and you see your own artwork in the street. It's a little like street art now or skate art or something like sure. that. I really enjoyed that massively. And then different things came together. The wall fell down and Germany was overrun by a wave of patriotism. And personally, I've never been a patriot and that moment was more like a grinding hall and also meant that with the end of the Cold War, which was coming, a lot of things were going to change inside Europe. 
And it sounds bizarre that to, to use that as a reasoning, but I thought, no, it's the whole autonomous thing, that whole squatting, semi-revolutionary, self-organized thing that's going to fall apart because we will not be able to withstand that, which is true. You know, like then you had for a long time, you had a strong wave of nationalism, racism. It was also very violent. It was a very hard time for, let's say, everybody who's not not in the mainstream. Like when you hmm. were like in the Eastern cities, but also in Berlin, parts of Berlin, parts of the East, parts of Ruhrpott. There was, it was very hard for a long time for people, either being a punk rocker not, or black, Turkish, everything that was a migrant had problems. It was unbearable. And I ended a relationship that I had been in for a long time. I had no money, I had no education, I had no high school degree and I had no parents with money. There was not so much I could do. I could still sell rocket records for the rest of my life. And um, I decided to become an. I didn't decide to become an artist. I decided to be study art because right. that was the difference. I just wanted to know what it's about because I'd always been drawing and I always been into that, but I couldn't really tell the difference between why Martin Kippenberger is art and let's say a good comic book is not art, you know, or why a poster that I like is art, is not art while a Picabia is art. You know, I'm more interested very simply in that. Did you learn? Do you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. I think I could explain that now. Mm. The differences. What did functionlessness? <laughs> lack of context. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but art school is art school. But you learn at least a lot about the idea of being a working artist. Right? Well, you learn. You kind of would think, and I also when I'm teaching is, uh, I think it's not so much also about the. The teacher or the professor. That's good if you are really interested in theory and you have somebody that seems to like can deliver knowledge. That's good. Mm. But mainly, I think it's about creating an atmosphere where you feel in, enabled to do something. You know, like where you think, okay, now I'm in here, and all the others don't know what to do. You know, like some paint, some sculpt, some start piercing themselves. The next one starts a band. You know, and there's all this debate: what is wrong? What is right? Is that really something? And you, but you feel like you're in a space. Well, that's taken serious. Well, the right. idea of being an artist, whatever that is, you know, that's the gap you have to fill, is accepted. And that was very important. And it's also, in my eyes, a very important function inside society. Not, not in terms of, like, good or bad art, but because that's a guarantee for a kind of a way of free thinking that is not aiming at a career or a market or a product, even though the art world has also changed towards that. Mm -hmm. But it may also change back. At some point, people will just be fed up with uh, things they have seen 2,000 times, and the only information they have about that is expensive or it's great or wonderful, and they don't know why. You look at stuff and that's supposed to be great, and you look at it, why is that great? It's just, it's just, it's like a radiohead record. Why do people listen? I mean, I understand that imbeciles and disabled that they listen to that, but the others, it's a big misunderstanding. It's a big misunderstanding. It's just wrong. There's so much good music in the world, and it's most, mostly not in the top ten. Yeah, that's interesting. I, uh, that's I don't listen to them, so luckily I can't feel offended by that. But, uh, but I mean, um, it. Uh, yeah, it's like you say. It legitimizes the the discourse in some way, or at least this like effort to take art seriously. Yeah. And that, I think, is also what leads to being a professional artist in a way. You have to take it seriously. Because when you're yeah. young, you don't have that. You don't 
really take art seriously. No, you, are, you take you are in there, and then you're taking it seriously. You know, also you find people who take it serious. Yeah. You can also, I mean, can, people take themselves serious, but they're isolated. And isolated communication is like communication with yourself, and that doesn't help you. Reading and all that doesn't help you. It's the the, the matter itself. It's the the room, the, the classroom. It's mm. the people talking. It's seeing people fail. It's seeing people making a fool out of themselves. It's enabling you to make a fool out of yourself because what's the worst thing that can happen? You do something and it's, it's not good and you understand it's not good and you do the next thing. It's not mathematics. You know, it's, it's not aiming at a CEO at a job. Right. Maybe it's just aiming at learning something about you and the world that teaches you humbleness and afterwards you want to be a cab driver. That sounds... Uh, that would... Yeah. There's actually a famous Danish artist who was a cab driver here, so that makes <laughs> sense. Uh, but then I know you worked for you worked as uh, I guess assistants for artists like Albert Olin. After yeah, I wor- only worked for Albert. What did, what's the difference between working for an artist and going to art school? Because that's both a learning, a, right? It's not such a big difference actually. Uh, the difference is that in art school you talk to a lot of people that you cannot really. Um, Measure you like like they are like you. They have your insecurities. They have some better knowledge, some less knowledge. And being with an artist, especially Albert, was because Albert was something whose work I really liked. So mm-hmm. I was taken in by Werner Büttner, who was a part of the trio Werner Büttner, Martin Kippenberger, Albert Ullen, who were or are in my eyes the most influential group of people that are like coming from painting in Germany. Werner Büttner is the one that is least known. And Albert Ullen was a good friend of his. And he asked him, he said, like, I, do you know anybody, a student or somebody that could work for me on a level of, like, so we can communicate about it? Because his idea when he hired me was just, like he said, he has a project if I would like to do it, and I would be his kind of a brush that works against him. That was the idea. So That's he, a good job. Yeah, it was good. It was good. It, f- it forced me to think analytically on one level and on the other level as a painter. Right. And it was just like a, a debate, and it was also very fast... A thing I have to admit about Albert is that he never treated me as an assistant. It was more like a, a young colleague that didn't know, you know, and um, and it was a very good attitude. I thought. Hmm. So I, um, I think he always had the. He was uh, in his weirdness. He was very fair to us. We didn't. He he didn't care. He would cared about what people said, not about whatever the title or the wealth or the age. You know, it was just like somebody said something that was right, and he said, "Oh, yeah, that's right. Maybe we'll do it like that." Hmm. So it was a good. Was that's good. really good. And I learned also to reason against it because for me, for me, he was like a very important figure in painting. You know, I, I understood what he was doing, and I would try to understand. And so for me, it was also good to have somebody who takes my own reasons. Serious, you know. You say no. I, when I said something that I think no, when you reason like that, you say that and that is subversive, and that and that is not. But mm-hmm. when subversion turns into a demagogy, it is also like something that maybe questions the whole idea of that things per se are subverting or not. Like brown is not per se ugly, and red is not per se happy. Things like that. very simple things, you know. But then you, you know, like it sharpens your like argumentation about what you do. Mm-hmm. And you were painting at the same time while working yeah. for him. Yeah. Were you showing him your work? Yeah. He, he, uh, yeah. He took it seriously. I mean, that's not so important for me. It was more important to show it. And my idea was um, when I did when I when I was in the nineties, I did a lot of abstract work, and I tried to how can you say 
I would say re revitalize certain ideas of non of abstract painting of but I wanted it to look I don't know wild I, you know I was interested in overwhelming things and uh, doing too much you like this saying don't do too much especially yeah don't overdo it don't do too much and I was asking myself what is too much you know like how much painting can I squeeze onto one frame and how much information can I squeeze into that before it collapses and the only way to find out was to do it so I used thousands of colors of paintings it was like mixing Oscar Jorn and uh, Pollock and uh, patterns in everyday life and neon signs and see what's going to happen and um, so so that was very vulgar it looked very like a little like Tal's work on his level mm -hmm. looks kind of related in the 90s looked kind of just vulgar just like too much too simple too colorful too thick and that Tell was against we didn't know that I think he also didn't know that there, there was a whole trend of subversion and subtlety and the benign and uh, well it's exploration right yeah. you're, like you say you're pushing the limits yeah. to see whether and then, yeah but there was like a whole like Painting in the 90s was only accepted when it was showing its cleverness. And we right. actually showed our stupidity. And that was a big difference. But I didn't know then. I knew years later why people didn't like my stuff. They thought it was just like an idiot. Hmm. The guy's just an idiot. He doesn't understand. <laughs> you know, he doesn't understand the, the, sub, the, the sublime. He right. doesn't understand that we have to make jokes about sublime, that we have to reduce, and that we have to be extremely sensitive and fooling the others, that we have to be dandies. This guy is just a peasant in an idiotic dress while right. we are dandies. Right. So there were dandies in the art world and we were peasants in the art world. <laughs> and treated thusly. <laughs> yeah, but with gladly we didn't know. We would thought we were well-dressed men. Right. That's the thing, you know, we, when, you, when, when you move into a club and everybody else sees you don't fit in, but you yourself think you fit in perfectly. Oh, yeah, I got yeah. in the door. <laughs> oh, wow, man, I'm, I'm lo I look, at my, look at my style, look at me. Yeah. And then everybody turns away, but you don't see it. You're just happy to be in there. Well, later you recognize it. Well, what happened? Because you did make a change, and the, the little research I did do, uh, everyone always talks about this change you made to figurative yeah. painting. Ooh, the, the, yeah, ooh, he abandoned yeah, yeah, uh, abstract art, you know? Yeah, now I did it again, but... Um, did, uh, I have a show coming up in Frankfurt where I did it again, uh, changing it into a different direction. Well, that was in 2000, and it was actually it was the same I had like uh, two years ago. I looked at my stuff and I said, no, I've done that. And the last paintings I really liked, I thought I can't do any better. It's like... Uh, so it wasn't that you were like, this is terrible, I got to try no, something no, else. No, 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 it was done. the opposite. Okay. I looked at it, and I really liked it, and I just got tired with it. You know, then mm. there was no point in doing it again. That's very healthy. And then, and then was a, like, that was, I mean, it took me quite some time then. It was like 15 years ago, and it took me a year. So, to, like, to, I guess I wanted to do something that is, deals with icons and politics and society, but also with painting per se. I, you know, I, I don't think that you justify a bad painting with its good cause. It has to, to be a good painting. And it doesn't matter. Oh, they if try. A, it doesn't matter if it's a flower or a painting about racism or a painting about gender issues or if it's narrative or just like symbolic, it doesn't matter. It has to be a good painting. And the question what a good painting is is very hard to answer. Uh, but that cannot be the justification. You know, like to say, uh, I'm, I'm. it was in terms of when you do something, very similar, when you do something that people can relate to and it has a certain mood, it is, it's like shifting from... 
let's say abstract painting or non-figurative or non-representative painting is free jazz. <laughs> you know? And then you shift into narration with vulgar, extremely loud colors. That's like shifting from free jazz to punk rock. Everybody understands that. Even those that don't like it understand the sign. Right. You know? And before, it's something like a specialist language. But for me, it was never a problem. I mean, for me, that doesn't matter. Like, I don't care if somebody's painting horses or unicorns or just lines and of abstract patterns. The question that interests me is how much, how, how far does this stretch a language? How much does this open? You know, how, how, what does it promise to me? What have I not known or seen before that I can only gain from this artwork? Mm. But it was interesting for me to see that it worked like that. Because for me, the, the main thing was I, I looked at the first four paintings. I was glad I made them. You know, I felt like I had done something for real, like like a new step for me. But I had no idea how people would look at them. I thought half of the people would think that's a failure. You know, like, forget hmm. it. That's, that's stupid. Why but was it? it immediately well received? It was immediately well received. That was the surprise. Ding. Yeah, ding. I was like, whoa, what? Ooh, what? Why? Ah, but it's, what's the difference? Right. The difference is very simple. It's like you have an abstract structure that is people don't relate to. This is like without the narration, the icon, there's less to gain from it. It's like, let's say it's a song with lyrics or no lyrics. You know, let's say Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday is one, is one of the greatest songs on a serious topic with some wonderful music, which is hard. I mean, like, you have a song like that with that approach towards reality and that suffering in it and then it's still a really beautiful song beautiful song without lyrics that would still be just a great song yeah but with the lyrics and with the lyrics sung by somebody who suffered and experienced that it is like absolutely overwhelming you just like you can't say no to that right you know and it doesn't matter if you normally into jazz or pop or you listen to that seriously you understand it it's like, I don't know, it's a hundred years of suffering comprived, compressed into a five, three-minute song. Yeah. And, um, but that's yeah. why it's also still so well-known. Yes, and, and actually all versions afterwards, I think there's one by a female guitarist in the 80s, Sylvia Juncosa. She did a really good version, but it's, you cannot copy that song without making a fool out of yourself. Mm. It's okay when Aretha Franklin does it, you know, it's because it's... A, but it is so, a song that is so... It's a little like certain Nina Simone songs. You know? Sure. This Where you feel Nina the Simone anger. cover songs are always bad. It's just like so strongly living by the person singing, composing, and experiencing it that it's you can only destroy it afterwards. That's fine. Deconstruct right. it, destroy it, put it on another level. But it's very hard to... Very hard. It reminds me of that bad electronic music you were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, you can do a lot of that. <laughs> um, but what, I mean, so you did make this change and it was immediately well received. And then everyone talks about how you use pictures from history yeah. to, yeah. like, so what, what, what are these pictures? Like, what well, are these pictures? You know, you look around, you look at, you see the newspaper. And then you see, it's very simple, like, at least how my brain functions. You see, you see the newspaper, you see stuff, horrible stuff every day, and then you, you relate that to history, like from, from Greece antique to the historic painting of the 19th century to the Kobe painting, you like this, offer different ideas about historical paintings. A strong influence on me was Russian painting from the 19th century, not in terms of that I really liked it, but I liked the way how they dealt with the misery of the Russian people and how they, how they composed them and how much they 
used the idea of traditional painting on topics that were like everyday life topics, mm. you know, like suffering, work, drunken popes. And then I did the same. I just like thought, okay, um, thought, um, I transform the monsters of the Odyssey just into policemen nowadays. <laughs> But is it just, is it the photographs or is it the stories or is it? It's a mix because some of it is, some is just like very simple a photo. You know, you see a photo and then some paintings just for photos I just looked at a photo so that's an interesting photo and I just kind of copied I didn't copy it I used it you know hmm. um, and others are like very elaborated classical you would say classic bad 19th century ideas you know like where you deal with something like a, 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 there was a Hamburg uprising in 1927 and that failed and uh, something about that so it's a speculation on history it was not like just using photo images and then just painting that would be boring so for some topics I did that because they kind of also touched me were very important to me hmm. but others others were jokes on history you know and I think nobody understood I mean I wouldn't say nobody understood them but a lot of people can't even understand them because they are totally how you say cryptic right well, that's like a hard special knowledge yeah. you know it's just like but they still work as a painting you see them and you see there is a certain whatever aggression there's figures and they You don't know what exactly these figures mean, but you could say that they are in relation to each other, in yeah. relation of disappointment and expectations. There's a room that is shattered. And then I later also made jokes, you know, like I did a whole series on paintings of guys that was mostly me in a superhero costume playing air guitar while, while the world is falling apart, right. which was like kind of mocking the idea of the superhero and jerking off because the air guitar is nowadays... That's a... Oh, you say uh, it's a competitive sport. Yeah, it's There's a competitive actual, sport, but uh, honestly, it's like it's it's like like the infantility of a society. Maybe that's good. It's better to be in an infantile society than in a martial society, but it's still infantile because it means there's a guy who is pretending that he can play the guitar. He makes an he's saying, "Hey, I'm an idiot. I can't do that. I just imitate. I imitate a guy." That looks like a guy who's jerking off. <laughs> and it's like a, this hubris, but people do that. Like you stand in public and actually you're jerking your giant dick. And then you do it in a group. And I made paintings on topics like that. That's I thought it was funny. It's related to art, though, in a weird way, right? Yeah. Uh, there's, a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of that. But, uh, I mean, but the thing that wonder, like, I'm wondering, because I'm having also, like, I, you know, your work does seem cryptic. And it is hard mm. to kind of unpack if, you, if one wants to do that, which I guess there's no point to do, but no. big circle. Uh, but to me, it seems like, in a way, maybe, or, or the question I had was, how does the history relate to the future? You know, because if you're talking so much about history... Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, because I think the history is... I mean, there's all these simple... You know all these calendars... What, a set, what it says in the calendar of the first semester of philosophy or history is, you know, like, for sure nowadays is the result of yesterday and tomorrow will be the result of today and the tomorrow we don't know, but yesterday we can study and today we can experience. That's all blah, blah, blah. But I mean, it's like we're all shaped by history and we can also shape history. And um, there's been mistakes and flaws. You could say, like, 9-11, was it really a brilliant idea to liberate Afghanistan? Yeah, that maybe was a brilliant idea. But was maybe Iraq not a brilliant idea? That was a not-so-brilliant idea. That's very simple. You could also say, yeah, there was always a faction inside the U.S. government at that time that was opposing that. I mean, like, we don't know how else it could have happened, but 
definitely there are to every problem there are different solutions and these solutions that when they are wrong choices influence the life of millions and millions of people mm-hmm. and they do that based on ideas on words you know like like um, it is but that's a political debate and it somehow works into my work because my, in general I'm just skeptic towards great ideas I am skeptic towards young men that are idealists. I think there's been more terror brought to the world by idealism and and um, young men willing to donate not only their lives but especially lives of others for the great case, mm-hmm. for great cause. And then, and then there's also like I don't know. You see the decline of the Soviet Union. You could say that's long gone, but actually the it's very like like the the Cold War was kind of rational, and with the decline of the Soviet Empire, rationalism like like just went down the drain, and now and then it transformed into that kind of an idealism that uh, brought back another enemy, or like like uh, let's say the poor at some point, the poor at some point only had very bad choices, and um, they made the bad choices. And then we made the bad choice to punish them for that, and that like also seems to be like a chain that is ongoing now. And, mm-hmm. I was going to say that's. Yeah, uh, and, that's uh, <laughs> I have no idea. We always hope for the best, but if I mean, but it's a political debate. It would like saying like, why does Erdogan? You can't be that Erdogan is so stupid to not support the Kurdish people anymore, just so he can stay in power, which is playing with the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, in, in the combination with the Islamic State, the serious situation, just to keep it, you know, like, like saying the, commun- the Kurdish people that are yesterday have been Western's heroes as the only ones that were really opposing militantly the, the, the Islamic State together with parts of the Peshmerga, by, but being a strong force, the next day everybody would say, no, you know, they are terrorists. We, have to, we also have to fight them. It's just like, so how how easy it is to change the image of a whole community. But how does this that. relate back to your painting? That is all about, my paintings are all about that. It's just connected to life, basically. It's connected to life, but it's what I mean. It's like I'm generally skeptical about images, ideologies. I'm, I try to have a little fun in my work, in installing like the stuff why I stopped doing. I stopped doing uh, figurative painting two years ago and I have a new show coming up with work that is vaguely based on figures but it's more conceptual. So this show here in Denmark now is the last show with, with narratives. Mm-hmm. And um, the shows I did, until 2011 I made a group of work that was based on psychedelic drippy paintings of men smoking and men carrying guns and they looked like a mix of Taliban and Alibaba's journeys and stuff like that because... I thought we brought it to the point, you know, like, like there is a certain beauty in all these images of the man in the mountains in Afghanistan. And nobody denied that till, that, till 2001. You know, till, two, till 9-11, they were like kitschy versions of every Western hippie's desire for an upright living life, you know, smoking pot, being like a person that never backs up. And they were heroes of the West. And then 9-11 came in, then they were just like bearded Nazis. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> it's the same what happened to the Marlboro man, who was for heterosexuals and for homosexuals all over the world a role model. You know, like a, a man conquering the West, riding the horse, being extremely sexual and the lonely. A real the, man. The, the lonesome stranger that everybody kind of desires. A life that was like the idea of an idealistic free life. No, no boundaries, only horses. Right. Horses and, and cows. Um, and overnight he turned into a guy who's just got cancer. 
Right. You know, like you look at a smoking He's a man with a beard like peddling. that, you don't think, whoa, that's a hot man, like a man <laughs> made of hot leather. You look at the guy and say, oh, he should stop smoking. He's going to get cancer. He probably sells cigarettes to kids, that guy. Yeah, so, yeah, that's the other <laughs> You know, but it's, um, I mean, that's all very simple observations. Sure. Um, this part of what I use for paintings, but mostly it's the paintings. And a painting, to explain a painting is quite difficult, you know. So people need to see them. And right. uh, if you don't see them, it doesn't really... Also, when you see them reproduced, it doesn't make sense. A three-meter painting that has 100 layers in a photo looks like maybe like a nice painting, but it's not the thing. It's like, it's like listening to music on, on a boombox that is very small and digital instead of an orchestra with a symphonic orchestra, like, you know, like, a, like a real building with real people and mm. the real bodies of the music. It's still the same song, but it sounds very different. Well, we have to wrap up soon, but I have two quick questions. And one of them I think I know the answer to. It seems like you don't really give a shit how people interpret your work. Would you, would you agree oh, with that? Oh, every understanding and every misunderstanding are fine. Yeah, you don't, you don't try to corral people no, in a direction. No, I don't try to. Sometimes, I mean, I, I enjoy it when people really find, when it kind of communicates with people on a level that they offer me something as an explanation that surprises me. Hmm. But I generally would say I know quite well what I'm doing. And, um, but I, know, I only know those about me that I understand, as right. you. As we all do a very psycho talk. I can't can be self-reflective and I can be very analytically. But there will always be dark, dark holes in me that I don't see. And another person sees the same reasoning, that sees the painting and says, Oh, that's about that. You have an issue with... You have an issue with legs <laughs> but, ah, no no how come no you know <laughs> and then you think about it it's actually true there are things in the paintings that are unsolved problems of me <laughs> or my thinking or right. the structure and they actually say something about me right. say, things, say things that I may even not know and it says something about the way you work too yes the way you paint yes. um, the final question is the worst question of them all how do I feel uh, no, no 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 <laughs> Do I like a cappuccino? What is art for? Art. What is art for? I, there's different ways of making. It's a very clever impression now, but I'll not go there. It's I think art is the only art is art is a promise for a better life. And it's it's a. I don't know if you want to call it an experiment field or utopia or transcendence idea. It's it is. Das Vorschein eines besseren Lebens. I don't know the... I, don't, I couldn't translate that. It is something like the glowing of something that could be a better life. Mm, the, the sunrise on the horizon. Something like The day that. coming or something. Something like that. That's a good answer. I'll okay. take that. <laughs> thank Tomorrow you. Tomorrow another. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Much appreciated. I talked a lot of bullshit. That's the way it works. <laughs> Yes, all right. That was Daniel Richter talking a lot of bullshit, like he says. But uh, you know, a lot of that made sense to me. Let's have more. Let's have more artists who talk like that. You guys agree? Something uh, there's something about it that that's refreshingly old school. I miss that kind of shit talking. Although God knows I don't do any of it. But uh, you know, it's just nice. It's nice to hear someone's unfettered opinion. And uh, you know, take that, Radiohead. 
So, thank you for listening. This episode of the Undergang Armchair was brought to you by Undergang Unlimited. The intro and outro music is provided by Johnny Ripper, and the interstitial music for this episode was provided by Arcee. You can find their music on our shit-talking and welcoming website, undergang.net. Come holler at us on Twitter. Come holler at us on Facebook. Come and talk some schmack with us and bring a friend, huh? This show was also produced with the kind support of the Danish Arts Council. Thanks, guys, and we will catch you next time.